Well, we are picking back up in our First Timothy series in chapter 5. Um, if you recall, recall the last sermon Marshall preached, ended in chapter 4. Um, Marshall preached on leaders of our church devoting and committed to the Word of God and pr- practicing and committing some form of godliness. Uh, Here we are in 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the text, and then I'll pray for us. First Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has, has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone, has set her hope on God. It continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I've tagged this text in our exchange. Who is running the house? Who's running the house? And before I forget, I want to introduce my mother and sister who's here with us. So if you get a chance, I would really appreciate it if you showed some form of hospitality towards them. Um, Here they are, Karen and Imani. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and mercy towards us. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the work that he's done on our behalf on the cross. And Lord, we thank you for your spirit, and it is with that spirit that I ask for preaching power, that you would help me to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. Lord, that your word would fall on good soil and take root in the life of your church. Whatever is not of you, would it fall off now in these moments? Amen. Titus Machias Plotus, that old Roman playwright, was to roam what Dave Chappelle is to the modern world, a comedian. But not just any comedian, a world-renowned comedian who had the ability, the influence, the platform to shape the minds and affections of those early first century folk of Rome. Titus Machias did not possess any political or military power. He was not feared, did not claim immortality, nor did he allege himself to be a descendant of a god. 
And yet, in an age where these claims typically garner social and political power, like that of the tyrannical and narcissistic emperor of Rome, Nero, Titus, a simple entertainer, defied the so-called Roman gods. History has told us that most Roman emperors viewed themselves as gods or deified beings, which demanded total devotion from their citizens. Well, unlike Nero, Titus Machias did not demand devotion. He simply wanted the laughter of an entire empire. And all this brother needed was one famous comedic play about one little house god titled The Little Pot. The contents of the play are irrelevant. However, the central figure was a Roman pagan god called Lares, which caught ancient Rome by storm. It is no secret that, the ancient, that ancient Rome was once home to a pantheon of gods who have yet to get up from the grave. Lares, this common household god, was no different. The story goes that when a family set up a shrine for this god, it would grant them prosperity, wealth, and protection, especially for the head of the household. Tradition goes on to say that a family's la, or lar, would generously help those who honored it by devotionals and sacrifices, but would turn its back to those who would not offer it. In fact, if a family moved, their lar could not go with them because he was tethered to a particular place. I don't know about you, but any God that can't get up and walk with me is no God at all. Scholars have said that this little house God was so popular that it would have been rare for a family not to have one in their home. If it was this popular, then it is very likely that the families Timothy was pastoring had been following its lead. Well, it is probably clear who was running their house. Husbands and wives may have thought they were in charge, but this little house God was the one calling all the shots. Friends, this is the glaring and immediate question of our text. Who is in charge of your house? Paul, up to this point in his letter to Timothy, has been constantly reminding his young apprentice and beloved son in the faith why godly character is a non-negotiable for those who are called to lead the local church. And as we come to chapter 5, you and I will witness the outcomes of godly leadership in the church. With that in mind, I wanted to submit to you one idea. That church leadership that is committed and devoted to godliness will inevitably model how life in the church ought to function. Don't miss it. It ought to function like a family. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Bishop Paul and Brother Timothy were no strangers to the litany of gods that this young church was being exposed to on a daily basis. 
In fact, it is this very pagan, God-soaked culture that Timothy and his churches were living in, eating in, playing in, and working in. Paul has in mind here that Timothy will inevitably find himself in precarious situations as a pastor of a multi-generational, cross-cultural, and not to mention a church full of recent converts to Christianity. The way Timothy leads will prove to be crucial towards the life of his church. He and his leadership team will need to know how to relate to their flock, how to serve their flock, how to grow their flock in godliness. And that can only mean one thing, that leaders cannot fulfill this call by way of arrogance and pride. This is why Paul commands him to not rebuke an older man, but to encourage him. Apparently, Paul knew something that Timothy did not. I would argue that Paul is speaking from experience. The singular verb to not rebuke rendered in the Greek is more like to not speak harshly to someone, especially to someone older than you. Paul's words to Timothy are clear. Watch how you talk to those older in the church. That sounds good, doesn't it, Justin? I grew up in a day where we said yes, man, and yes, sir, and I'm not prescribing that to you. But there is something called respect in the Christian life. There is something called respecting, respecting your elders. And in the age and the day that we live in, sometimes I have hazard to guess that that has been lost, especially in this house. He knows that in order for Timothy to garner the listening ear of those around him, and have the credibility to speak into their life, then Timothy will need to move towards older folk with humility and respect. He will need to treat them like his own family, like his own father and mother, brother and sister. Paul applies this Christian ethic to both his peers and to those older than him in his church. The one leading the way has to model what he is calling others to do. In other words, Timothy has got to practice what he preaches. There it is. I don't know how to make it any else plainer to you right there. The leadership of this church has responded to the call of leading you. And, all that, and, and that call is to live in such a way that models what heaven will be like when all of God's family is under one roof. Oh, but to some of us, this idea of living and functioning as a family doesn't sound that all appealing. I get it. After all, family brings up old wounds. It harkens back to deep pain and frustrations. It brings about total apathy you would rather just come to church, be cordial with a couple folk, get your worship on and bounce. Get right back to just doing you. You have tried that family thing already and have decided that this just ain't for you. 
Others of us have simply never even seen family modeled for us. Your parents divorced when you were young. You lost a mom or dad early in life, and that altered the way you grew up dramatically. The house you grew up in was, was dysfunctional or abusive or silent. You oftentimes pray that God will take you away from your family. Or better yet, you hope people in your family will just acknowledge you, see you. It's somewhat ironic that I'm preaching about family and with my own family here. I remember what it was like growing up with a single mother who raised two kids on her own. There were some hard days, for sure, some even painful. Having to witness the daily struggles of a woman who worked full time, went back to school to obtain a four-year degree, raised a young man and young lady by herself, and figure out how to keep us out of trouble was no small task. But here we are, and I want it on record that none of what you see here today had anything to do with us. Oh no, I believe with every fiber in my being that my being here and your being here is, is because somewhere along the way, someone was praying for you. Oh yes, they were. It was a church in Georgia that filled the gap when we needed it. It was a church that treated us like family. It was a church that prayed for my mother when times were hard. It was a church that steered me straight when I was veering off the right path. It was the church that gave me older men to pour into my life. It was the church that sent my, my mother friends that she could lean on as a single parent. Oh, I wish I could preach it how I feel it. It was the church that was family to us. Friends, it does not matter where you come from, who you are, or what you have been through, the church of Jesus Christ is the only place on earth where everyone and anyone is deemed family. This house is the only house that will humble the proud and lift up the lowly. It is this house that binds the wounded hearts and comforts the hurting. Excuse me. <clears throat> oh, but how can this be? Well, I'm glad you asked. There was a man named Jesus who died on a hill far, far away called Calvary. But before he died, he made sure his family heard the good news. This man named Jesus was coming for his family. And whoever believes in his name will be called sister, brother, son, and daughter. And when he died, he took his family with him. But then he came up out of the grave. And guess who was there? We was there with him. And, on, and three days later, he brought his family with him. Friends, that family is you and me. And now all of us have the same father. We occupy the same house. And therefore, we all have the same responsibility to treat one another like family. Paul changed his course from church's leadership to that of its members. He gives us some details as to the kind of fruit modeling grace will produce in the church. Here it is, verses three and four. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. 
and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Skip down to verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Widows throughout Scripture have been synonymous with the poor, the fatherless, the, and the orphaned. God tells the Israelites in Exodus 22 that you should not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And if they cry out, I will surely hear them. Deuteronomy chapter 10, God promises that he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Oh yeah, you remember the two widows in Luke's gospel? In Luke chapter 7, the Bible says that Jesus raised from the dead the son of a widow in Nan. Then later in chapter 21, he blesses a poor old widow for literally giving her only two cents up. Yet again, we see the God of the Bible on the side of the lowly and destitute. On the side of those whose backs are up against the wall. He is a father to the orphan, a husband to the widowed, provider for the single mother or father, liberator to the oppressed, the uplifter of the downcast. The text wants you and I to see that caring for the most vulnerable among us is crucial to being in his family. And the only way we are going to know who the most vulnerable amongst us is by talking to one another, eating with one another, praying with and for one another, serving one another, listening to one another, and being honest with one another. Oh yeah, this will be hard. This will even be scary. And yes, it will be uncomfortable, but thank God for grace. Because that's what you're going to need. The example of this widow's life in verse 5 is quite the conundrum at first glance. If you know anything about a first century widow, then you know her life was pretty hard. Without a husband, she had no means of financial stability. Unless she gave herself physically to men for money, she possessed no protection or refuge due to the misogynistic ways of her day, which are still prevalent now. No, this woman possessed no material riches, but she had something that was higher, heavier, and holier. Oh, this widow had faith. I knew that wouldn't get a shout out of anybody, so I brought my own witness. Come here, Grandma. Yvonne McLean, a widow herself, knows a thing or two about faith. Not only was she an immigrant from Jamaica, a single mother of three, and a survivor of the Northeast in the 80s and 90s, she was also touched by Jesus. I feel it in my bones. My grandmother knew exactly where her hope was laid. In her house, down there in Atlanta, right when you walk in, on the left was a room the size of a dining room. You remember that room, Amadi, don't you? This room had, a big had big pillows all over the place. 
My cousins and I would wrestle and play all day in that room. But early in the morning and late at night, what was once a playpen to us was now a place where she met God. When I was laying in my own bed at home, she was in that room on her knees praying. When I went off to college, she was on her knees praying for me. Paul does not miss words in verse 5. He utilizes the present active verb when he writes that the widow continues in supplications and prayers. The idea here is one of urgency and desperation. This is the posture of a people who knows who's in charge. When shepherding God's family has become overwhelming, you better have a closet to run to. When things get tough, you better have a room to kneel in. When your home seems to be unstable, you better know how to fall to your knees and call on your Father in heaven. I'm done, but before I go, I'll leave you with one more thing. Prayer only works when you pray to the right God. Grace is only giving when you believe in the right God. And just in case you may not know who that God is, well, let me help you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing, anything was made. Oh, the church can't be the church without Jesus as his head. You would not be able to lead if Jesus isn't leading you. There was no such thing as caring for the vulnerable if Jesus ain't caring for you. Friends, the best thing for our church and for your home and for your children and for your roommates and for your colleagues is having Jesus as the head of your life. Yes, I said it. Who is running your house? Let's pray. Father, let your word be afresh to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.